Welcome to Intersections, a podcast dedicated to interfaith discussion on issues that matter to our communities and our world. I'm the Reverend Chris Moore. I serve at Fellowship Congregational United Church of Christ here in Tulsa and also as board chair for Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry. Thanks for listening. The last session of the Supreme Court was earth-shattering in its legal impact. Not only did the court turn over Roe v. Wade, a legal precedent which has stood as settled law for over 50 years, but in Kennedy versus the Bremerton School District, a 6-3 to three conservative majority voted to side with a public school football coach who held Christian prayers on the field immediately after games, thereby overturning over 60-plus years of precedent on the separation of church and state, as well as the boundaries on where the freedom of speech meets public religious display. Perhaps more than other episodes of this podcast, we need to have some detailed lead-in, because there's some legal framework and history that are at play here during a session of the court that really reshaped a lot of settled law. We begin with the details of this particular case, which seem to come in two different forms, shown in the majority and the dissenting opinions. The majority, with some pretty clear early indications of how they would rule, took Mr. Kennedy's interpretation of events, ignoring detailed facts, including photographic evidence, that refuted that interpretation. The majority painted this as a case of a lone football coach who was fired for simply wanting to have a private prayer on the field after the game. The documented facts show a coach who held many sermons before and after the game in the locker room, who had large groups of students with him on the field for his private prayer, and who, despite repeated attempts to reach alternatives, continued the practice in defiance of instructions until the administration placed him on paid administrative leave. He was never fired just simply didn't submit an application to be hired for the next school year. Lower courts had held up Mr. Kennedy's narrative as flawed, and even in the case of some judges' words, deceptive. However, Justice Gorsuch, writing the majority opinion for the Supreme Court, endorsed Mr. Kennedy's narrative to a T, abandoning the opinions of all of the lower courts before him. Most profoundly, the court rejected decades of legal precedent that are specific to this case, beginning with the so-called Lemon Test, a legal standard that has guarded church-state separation since 1971. The Lemon Test holds that any government conduct, in this case a public school football coach's post-game team prayer, must meet three criteria. One, It must have a clear secular purpose. Two, it must not have the primary effect of advancing or inhibiting religion. And three, it must not create an excessive governmental entanglement with religion. The court in this decision also flouted Justice O'Connor's 1984 endorsement test, which stated that the boundary exists where a reasonable, informed observer would perceive a particular act as a government endorsement of religion. Perhaps most egregious to my mind, however, is the obvious dismissal of Lee v. Weissman, a 1992 case which advises that school-sponsored religious activities are inherently coercive, both because of the power school officials wield over students and because of the peer pressure facing young people who visibly refuse to participate. Anyone who has participated in high school sports of any kind knows all about this kind of pressure, particularly from a coach. And, to add insult to injury, the court also left no guidance in the wake of tossing aside the other precedents other than a vague new rule that the Establishment Clause must be interpreted by reference to, understand this, historical practice and understanding, a standard that sounds suspiciously like an endorsement of a particular religion itself since Christianity has dominated the landscape of U.S. historical practice and understanding. Such shocking diversions from precedent and settled law 
in not only this case, but others in the session, leaves a reasonable person wondering if this court believes that anything is settled law, thereby raising concerns about the sessions to come and how this court might seek to reshape our legal landscape piece by piece. Joining me today to discuss the religious and social implications of this ruling are members of the interfaith community here in Tulsa. Rabbi Dan Kamen serves Congregation B'nai Imuna, and Aliyah Shimi is the executive director of our sponsoring organization, Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry. Thanks to you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. So I'd like to start by asking this important question. So what? I mean, what's the, what is the big deal about some football coach somewhere praying with his students on the 50-yard line right after the game? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And I, Chris, I, thank you for the extended introduction. Um, because I think one of the things that you've just accomplished is laying out how complicated the legal conversations are around these decisions. But I wonder, or, or not I wonder, when I think about this, I, I actually kind of take it out of the legal framework and I think about the social experience of being that football player or that lacrosse player or that soccer player or that swimmer, whoever that high school student is, who inhabits a religious identity that might be different from their coaches. And it should be noted, I suppose, this is not an abstract to you, having been a, a lacrosse player all the way through college. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. I played sports pretty seriously growing up and, 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 and all through college and, um, and, and even have had a chance to coach teams. There's an enormous power you have as the person who is leading a team. It's actually, as someone who is both clergy and coach, I would say more impact sometimes more direct impact when you're making the decisions about who's going to play, who's going to be on the field, what, you know, evaluating talent, you're really in a very powerful position. And so if there's something that creates dissonance or shows favor um, that's outside of uh, um, a child or a student or an athlete's um, participation in the sport, there's some dynamic for, for difficult moments of of self-doubt, identity dynamics at, at play. It, it It is a reality that people come to a sporting event with different backgrounds. And I wonder what this might feel like for someone who happens to be Jewish to be on uh, Coach Kennedy's football team. Right. And so say, so say a little bit more of that. I mean, like, so you're thinking um, – Again, a, a prayer that is uh, often this this lies in this zone of not mandatory. So I remember growing up and playing sports, there were summer workouts that were not mandatory. I'm using air quotes for those of you who cannot see me, you know, not mandatory. And yet the wink was, you know, that was usually the not mandatory was in compliance with, you know, some sort of governing agency's rules about what you could do with students at that time. But the but the wink wink was it is mandatory like if you're if you're yep. not going to do this and not going to participate in this way there will be ramifications for that in terms of your playing time or your position on the team or any of those or, things or even the social dynamic of being part of the group right right religion and sports have a lot in common with each other yeah the idea that you wear a uniform the idea that you're competing, even if in religion, we don't talk about competing in the same way, but you're, you have a shared vision or a shared goal or a shared mm -hmm. mission. Those things really align. And I think as someone who lives a religious life, I know the influence of what it means to be part of a, part of the, part of a team, part of some part of a community that, you know, shows up regularly. The more you show up, the more you're in deeper relationships with your teammates, with your coach. And there are real implications of that. I, I want to encourage that for, for a, a, a religious individual. There are ways in which I think sports do a wonderful job of modeling some of the values that, that religions seek to address. And I wonder about what it means to now have a context where a coach in a public school setting can make those values so explicit. 
of course, we know some of the best football teams in the land are, pri- are private religious schools. Right. Notre Dame. Right. Right. Good, good uh, example. Um, uh, what's the school? Uh, Liberty Liberty Uni- University yeah. is one of the like most accomplished, fastest growing right. uh, Division One football teams, um, and and they should be lauded. And and those are beautiful communities where a athlete can choose to participate and understand some of the relationships that are at play. In Tulsa, we've got Oral Roberts University, right. a religious institution, which has a set of values that an athlete who comes to play there knows is part of the community. I would not be surprised for a coach, and I I, am at, I have not been to many ORU sports games, but if this type of prayer is happening in that setting, I think that's a beautiful thing and, 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 and to be encouraged. I think one of the dynamics that comes at play here is that this is a public school setting. It this is a setting that yeah. is... That, sure. is, that is different when it comes to, to bringing right. people together. So the, the assumption is that that whoever is coming to that knows those expectations up front before they come and join that team as opposed to it changing with the coach, for instance. Um, so I join the team and I'm doing my own thing here and I'm not really part of the religious majority that I'm surrounded by. Uh, and then the coach changes and all of a sudden the dynamics around that change, that's a you know, that's that public component that makes a difference. Um, what is good and just and, and, and even laudable in a private setting may become something different in a public setting. So, you know, the provocative question <laughs> is how do we, how do we anticipate this would have been ruled or it would have even been heard by the Supreme Court had this been a coach, for instance, laying out prayer mats and inviting students <laughs> to pray in an eastwardly direction? Well, that coach probably would have had the Joint Terrorism Task Force called on him because right. right. he was breeding terrorists. So, you know, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm the mother of five and all of my children participated in sports in high school. And um, my youngest one was being alienated in school. So we decided to put him on a soccer team and he partook in a competitive soccer team. And just about everybody on the soccer team was Catholic. And prior to him being placed on the soccer team, um, but before they were out on the field, they would do prayer. After they would get off the field, they would do prayer. And without us saying anything, the first time I showed up to practice, immediately the coach, you know, um, did away with that prayer practice. And in fact, after I seen them a couple of times, I asked the coach, I was like, well, you know, you guys used to pray on the field, you know, what, what's going on? Is there, is there something that you guys are offended because he's Muslim? And they'd be like, no, we just want to make sure that we don't put any pressure on him. We want to make sure that he feels welcomed. And this was the coach taking it upon himself. And, you know, like I said, predominantly Catholic team and to be able to make sure that my son feels welcomed in, in, on the team. And so it was, it was excellent. You know, it was amazing. And so to see, um, you know, when, when our players take the field and they're praying and there's nothing wrong with praying, right. But, you know, when, when they're praying in a particular, in this case, particular Christian theme and, you know, when, when other faiths such as Judaism or Hinduism or, or Islam, you know, are looked at in, in a different lens, then it creates a greater divide amongst the team members. And so, um, and we all know what happens on teams, especially when they become competitive. We know, you know, hazing, this, that, and the other, all of those take place. And so this just adds fuel to the fire. And, you know, how would it be different if, you know, if we had a rabbi and an imam and a pastor all Mm -hmm. on the field together, right? right? And I know, um, like on OKC Thunder, right? I know Rabbi Verid has been invited multiple times to do the invocation, right? As as a Jewish faith leader, she's been invited multiple times to do. And so kudos to Thunder to to ask people of other faiths, leaders of other faiths to come in and do that. Now, if you're going to be inclusive of all of the faiths, great. But if you're not going to be inclusive and you're just going to be exclusive, then, you know, again, where is the freedom of religion? Where is the separation of church and state that we're supposed to have? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point as well, that one of the things that's, that's, that's maybe challenging or confusing about this decision is that we're dealing with a public institution, mm-hmm. and we're dealing with a setting 
that is not just a public institution, but is also a public institution who's designed to care for children. Mm -hmm. If you're in high school, you're still a child. You're still in formation. And the settings we create in those public settings set expectations for how one views themselves and their own identity. People who are in their adolescence are still in identity formation and still making choices about who they want to be and how they're going to manifest themselves and their religious identities and their religious practice. I can't believe I'm going to share this in this setting, but I will. <laughs> but when I played lacrosse pretty seriously yeah. and I went in high school, one of the very first times I ever ate a food that wasn't kosher was at a setting when I was a gathered with my teammates right. at a teammate's house for a team dinner. And there was something that looked so appetizing. I won't admit what it was. <laughs> That's for me and God to know. Yes. Um, but it well, looks so well appetizing. Played, well played. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, it looks so appetizing. And I was in a social... It, but it wasn't just that the food looked so appetizing. I was also in a social setting where I wanted to have something in common right. with the people around me. I was at a sure. public school. And I was at a public school in New Jersey. Right. So there was no – there was – I mean, Judaism was still a minority, but not nearly what it would be in many other contexts. Sure. And there were plenty of 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 other of other of other settings where and again and and it was a fluency where I could have said to the host, "Oh no, I keep kosher," and it would have been completely understood. Right. And still, there was that pressure. So right. when I think about this Supreme Court decision, I think about something very personal. Now, do I cite that? moment as leading me astray and my rabbinic career has failed. No, actually quite the opposite. It was actually an important moment of formation and right. reflection. But I do think it's worth noting that it comes out of a setting that where there was no mm -hmm. prayer, where there was no um, leader or coach kind of, right, yeah. pushing right. A, yeah. an idea, even then you're going to come up with these questions. Even then you're going to be right. confronting these identities. And in that way, there's a maybe a stronger need to protect the uh, sacredness of, right. of the public forums, right. which we call public education. Right. And, and in that kind of environment, I mean, so in a pluralistic society and one that is increasingly diverse, there's, there's an educational responsibility, you know, that, that underlies all of this thing because this case and not only this case, but the way it was handled, not only in Washington state, but also by the lower courts and then by the Supreme Court, um, give us a real clear indication of you know, sort of what is the default setting? What is the assumption made about what we call normal? Mm -hmm. And so the coach um, in a uh, in an ignorant sort of way could certainly have come forth and said, well, I, I you know, I'm not intending to exclude anybody or do because all I'm doing is the default setting. I mean, all I'm doing is just you know, preaching Christianity, and that's that's everybody's everybody is is there anyway, right? So I'm not doing anything mm -hmm. that's that that's that weird. Um, without understanding, like not only a that there are other religious expressions, uh, but b like there are other religious uh, expressions of Christianity. Like yes. it's not just a single Christianity. Not a so, Right. Uh, so I could find ways in which you could uh, be at a, let's say, an all Catholic institution, for instance, or a, or an evangelical institution or, or any of the other sort of flavors of Christianity in which another flavor of Christianity would not necessarily feel as comfortable. Uh, because what what do we do in our default settings and what do we do when we think about, again, the difference between our private lives and our private way of uh, engaging religion and our public way. So how, how do we talk a lot in interfaith settings about how we pray publicly in an appropriate fashion, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when we are in a, a group that we know is diverse. So, um, uh, and, and the issues that arise with, uh, there's a balance to be had. So being true to your own tradition is important. I don't want to take somebody away from that. And also recognizing, you know, how do you make space 
for other people. But boy, that's a very different attitude than the default setting is the right setting. And so the ultimate goal is to get you into the default setting, even if I'm going to be real nice about it. Yeah. Well, and that's, again, to me, like, I don't want you to be disingenuous. I want you to have your convictions. And if you're going to pray with your flavor, that's fine. Please, by all means, I support you in that, right? I want you to be genuine and 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 have that conviction. However, if you know that you have people of other faiths on your team, allow them to also have the space then to do their prayer in, in their flavor, in their tradition as well, right? I'm not saying don't, right? But if it's going to keep us from having this huge conflict and making all the kids feel, you know, this rift, then yes, right. you know, so, but this is not what we're hearing from Kennedy, right? Right. And so, but that also takes it back to when we're talking about a public school, it's not just sports events. I can't tell you on how many occasions my children have come home and said, well, my teacher put on this thing on the news and we were listening to it. And then we had to hear hours of it. And then my son, whose name is Muhammad, right? Um, then I got berated as the terrorist in the classroom, mm -hmm. right? And so this, this is in a classroom, in a public setting, in the school. As a taxpaying parent, right? Where are my rights? Right. Yeah. All right. So, I mean. You know, you know I think that's, uh, where, where are our rights and where, where do things come together? I, I also want to say, like I think about my own experiences as I think about Coach Kennedy. Mm. And, you know, one of, when, I, when I applied to go to rabbinical school, one of the essays I wrote was about the distinction between my life as an athlete and what I was doing in this particular setting and moving into a setting of, of kind of religious study and religious practice and drew some parallels. And, and I actually assumed when I went to California to go to rabbinical school, I was closing the chapter of my sports career behind me. Turned out a set of events and six months later, I'm uh, working uh, in a part-time capacity at a public school in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. coaching lacrosse. Coaching lacrosse, yeah. And, uh, and I discovered something in that setting that was remarkable. I, as a person training to be a religious leader, was in a public school in Los Angeles where there were kids who happened to be Jewish who were on my team. And it was their first time encountering someone who was training to be a rabbi. Right. And that was an incredible moment. I remember discovering that one of my players, his mother was the president of one of the prominent congregations in Los Angeles. And there was all of this way of, of connection and beauty. And in a certain way, I understand exactly what Coach Kennedy might feel in relating to his right. students and to his athletes and, and, and wanting to encourage that setting. That being said... What I would have hated is for one of my players to feel that I was giving preference to this player over that player because of this other setting. That would not have been in favor of the, the goals of the team. It wouldn't have been in favor of the goals of the school. And so, I, you know, I, I think one of the things that, you know, makes this an argument that I imagine someone digs their heels into and goes all the way to the Supreme Court to fight for is that they really believe that this is a beautiful way to connect with people. Right. And, and I, I don't want to disregard that, that okay. the, the, the alternative settings where we can put value, religious values into people's lives is absolutely beautiful. And we should try to foster that to the, to the extent that it becomes exclusionary. And that a kid comes home, like your son, Muhammad, and feels as though they've been made to be a terrorist. Right. Well, that's causing harm and not creating the settings that those feelings want to create. And, and, and I think that that's a fine line and that's a fine line to legislate. And that's also where the Supreme Court decision comes becomes complicated because what's allowed and what's not allowed? How do we do this in a way that allows us to, to, to accomplish some of the things I admire coach Kennedy, sure. uh, and, 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 and some of the ways in which he's able to, and has been able to use his values to, um, uh, to influence, 
the lives of his of his athletes. We're faith leaders sitting around this table, and to each and every one of us, our faith is not just one piece of our life. It is the way of life to us, right? It is mm-hmm. it is it is a path for us. And so, as a practicing Muslim who prays regularly five times a day, I'm taught as a Muslim before I start anything to have the remembrance of God Almighty, right? And so before I would do anything, I start in the name of God, right? Mm-hmm. I start with Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. And so before I would, you know, as a martial artist, and I used to be in the ring all the time, and I used to be at mm-hmm. tournaments all the time, you know, I did all of these things. And so before I did anything, I would always do it silently because I never wanted to offend anybody else, mm-hmm. right? As an adult now, it, and because, you know, like I said, I pray five times a day, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very cautious as to where I pray those five daily prayers. And obviously I can't be in a mosque or my house 24 seven. Right. And so if I'm going to pray outside, I am very conscious that I don't offend anybody and I don't make anybody feel uncomfortable. Right. And so I take those extra steps because just my presence alone to some people is very disturbing. Unfortunately, just because I have a piece of cloth on my head and it, and it identifies me as a Muslim or it, you have a kippah on your head and it identifies you as a Jew, you know, it could be very uncomfortable to people. And, you know, a part of me in the past would have said, forget them. You know, this is my religious freedom. I live in the United States. I can express my faith any which way I can. However, the the grown up side of me says, no, I want to be careful. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And so if I'm taking those into consideration, I would hope that somebody that was made the head coach of a public school's team would take those into consideration as well. I'm not saying don't have your convictions. I'm not saying don't lead your life the way you're supposed to. But if you know that you have other people on your team of other flavors, please be a little more considerate, mm-hmm. right? You're, that's a public position that is paid for, again, by our tax dollars. Right. So do we go after them then? Because- that's our tax dollars paying for him to indoctrinate our children in Christianity or to be exclusive and, and, you know, keep our kids out. What do you do there? The intent really matters. I mean, I think that, you know, so again, once you, and and that may be one of the hard things to sort of uh, figure out, you know, why, why you have a, a lemon test and why you have an endorsement test and why you have all of these pieces in place that try to, define that barrier in some way, shape or form, because I think that it is um, uh, a really delicate thing. And you can you can also have somebody with good intent who has negative impact. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in the same way that you can have somebody with positive intent or, you know, or or bad intent who has, you know, positive impact at some point, you know, Um, but it's it's a it's a complex issue that really confronts us again as a pluralistic society in how we treat and look at difference. Um, so training people to understand how to do that effectively and, and how in a public setting we we both um, we balance our own private feelings or identities with those of the other people present and, and try to handle that with with some grace. Um, as opposed to, I mean, that, that may be a hard place to get to if your assertion is that your way is the right way, mm-hmm. even if you're, even if that's an, even if you're nice about that, like even if you're trying to be kind about that uh, and and to be loving about that, but you still assume there is no other way than this way, whether we're talking about religion or any other kind of thing, uh, that gets in the way of of having a healthy environment uh, that supports difference. Well, I also think that over the past several years, this rise of Christian nationalism mm. has emboldened these type of individuals, right? And so would we have been having these conversations eight years ago, 10 years ago? I don't know, right? And And I'm not saying that coaches haven't done this Back in the day, I'm not saying that it doesn't take place more so now than ever right. is what I see. Right? right. People are more emboldened now than they have been. I've born and bred Tolson. Yeah. Went to public school all my life. Yeah. You know, went to TCC, OU, OSU, you know, and, you know, I, I haven't seen this kind of behavior up until recently. And so it, it, it has, 
you know, people had more understanding. I, I, at least I would hope so, you know, had more understanding. Um, even what you just mentioned a little while ago, um, you know, when I get approached by people who hand out tracks, right. And they ask me if I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today, right. As a covered Muslim woman and they're approaching mm-hmm. me with this, right. And so again, previously my understanding would have as, as, been indifferent. As Admiral Akbar would say, it's a yes. trap. Yes, right. that's right. But somewhere in there, I understand however convoluted it is that this person is worried about my hereafter, right? Is worried about my hereafter. Yes, I'm sure it's selfish gain also for them. We got to convert another one, but right. it's also they're concerned about my hereafter, right? Mm-hmm. And so I then I reply to this individual, well, I appreciate your concern for my hereafter. I really do. I hope you hear me. I'm not trying to be cynical. Why don't we sit and have a conversation about this? Like, I would love to take you to coffee. Let's have a conversation about this, right? Let's talk about the misconceptions you have about my faith. Let's talk about how our faiths are similar, this, that, and the other. Most of the time that de-escalates the situation. And I've become friends with so many people. I've made lifelong friends with so many people that way. But on some occasions, it's also backfired and the person flipped out and the police had to be called and things like that. So, you know, I, I get it. I get it. But again, just a little ounce of compassion for that other person or the other players on your team. Just an ounce of compassion goes a long way. Well, I mean, it's also interesting. Like we're talking about sports, right? Talking mm-hmm. about teams and there's a variety of things that we can paste on to that conversation. Metaphor. Everyone yeah. uses the sports metaphors That's to talk right. about life. Yeah. And we can do the same thing. Of course we have teams. We have uniforms we wear. Let's talk about a football team. Yeah, we're all going to wear the same uniform. We're also going to have individual numbers. Not only are we going to have individual numbers, we're going to have individual roles to play. Mm-hmm. And the lineman is not less important than the quarterback. Well, depends on the team. Depends on the team. Depends on the team. Easy now. <laughs> but 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 okay. But there are differences. That's actually a perfect example. That right. there are roles that one can play and differences and skill and aptitude and talent and and investment, which are going to create those differences. And we can see that on a, a good football coach knows that about their team, sure. right? That, that they have to actually look for a variety of individuals and mm-hmm. come together because that lineman is probably not going to make a great quarterback. And that quarterback probably wouldn't make a great lineman. Right. So if we can recognize differences in those settings, then it would feel natural to extend an understanding of difference beyond just physical talents, but also to the constitutions of the people who who arrive who arrive at at your door or who be who are there as uh, as your as your students or your um or your your athletes, your players. Uh, I mean, Reverend Moore, like you come into the conversation from a Christian perspective. Right. And we're dealing with someone who is doing Christian prayer and and you know, Christianity not as a monolith. Um, is something you mm-hmm. you just said a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, how does this sit with you as someone who represents Christianity? Uh, well, I mean, like I'm always troubled with uh, by um, methods of what we call evangelism, right? So um, because it all boils down, a Rabbi, to uh, the beginning assertion of what what is um, – do I believe Christianity to be an ex- exclusive religion or an inclusive religion? Do I believe that it is um, that that the way that a particular passage in John has been interpreted, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me, uh, that has been interpreted a particular way over – over a mm-hmm. period of time and certainly over the last 200 years has been particular in, in the United States uh, in particular has been um, really interpreted a very specific direction and it's a very exclusionary one. Uh, so, to, you know, to go back to talking about that Christian nationalism and that identity. So uh, at, at this point you have uh, an ideology out there, a very driven ideology out there that holds that, the racial categories of of the United States historically, the religious categories of the United States historically, um, 
the uh, the gender uh, uh, roles uh, and definitions historically must remain that way, and there is a fear of a diversity or or a different kind of answer. There's a fear of other uh, that 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 other. Um, Trying to take over it takes it that, that it yep. disrupts this. That, that if that. if that other comes into the same uh, level of uh, respect, um, that 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 those primary things that have been long been the default position mm-hmm. uh, forever have been the default mm-hmm. position in the United States. That that is a threatening move, as opposed to a move that simply is asking you to take those identities out of the public sphere and keep them in the private sphere or to treat them differently that when they're in the public sphere than you do when they're in the private sphere. It doesn't take away any of your private identity in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. It simply says publicly there may need to be some alterations to how that works because we are now engaging with a whole other group of people who have their own private things that they're bringing to, you know, we – Uh, to the mix, so to speak. I think you touched on it, Chris, about the sphere, which the sphere mongering has been going on, particularly over the past, you know, four or eight years, whatever. And it's, you know, my sweet little old neighbor, petrified of Muslims. She's been living across the street from me for 13 years. I've been helping take care of her since her husband passed away. And up until a few years ago, she didn't know I was Muslim. Right. And when I was having a conversation with her about Islamophobia and she said, well, what's that? And I said, it's a fear of Muslims. She was genuinely petrified. And she said, they're trying to take over. She kept saying they. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought she was kidding. Right. I swear to you, I thought she was kidding. Right. And I chuckled and I was like, yeah, we're so scary. And when I kept saying we, she kept saying they. <laughs> and I said, Yuna, my dear, have, have I ever done anything to make you feel threatened? Has anybody in my family done anything to threaten you or make you feel uncomfortable living across the street from us? She said, no, I love you all. You all take care of me so much. Well, why do you keep saying they? Mm-hmm. I said, what do you think I am? She goes, I don't know. And I and I did like this. I was like, what do you think this is? I said, I'm a practicing Muslim. She goes, you are? <laughs> I mean, I wish I had a body cam on me. I wish I had, you know, like, I swear I thought somebody was punking me. Yeah. You know, when this poor little old lady is petrified of something she doesn't even know that has been living across the street from her sure. for 13 years. And it's this fear mongering of they're going to take over. They're going to take our faith away. They're going to take our values right. away. They, 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 they don't even know who the they is. Right. And, and why, why so much fear? Yeah. And so when you see that, that, it, that saying we should not have prayer in schools which is really not what they say. Mm-hmm. What, what they say is that we should not have one kind of prayer in schools. Yeah. Uh, or only so one you, kind of prayer so, and not so any note, other kind. You note that, that then the lemon test, uh, it must not have the primary effect of advancing or inhibiting mm-hmm. religion. Right. So it's it's a neutral position, which is mm-hmm. to say teachers should not be in the business of promoting any particular religious expression or denying any particular religious expression. Um, and that's the way that's the stance in that public setting. But you can see where the assumed default position comes into play and 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 people tie that to history. They tie that to tradition. Mm-hmm. They think that that is what lies at the basis of of the United States instead of something else um, that, that we are sort of reaching for some other value that we're sure. that we're pushing towards. And and yeah, that becomes it becomes a threatening thing at that point because it seems to be threatening identity until you have someone as gracious as my friend Alia is with people to <laughs> to you know to extend that olive branch to say, well, let's sit down and talk. And and you have personally witnessed how that has transformed things mm-hmm. in really dramatic ways for people who we're making all sorts of assumptions from ignorance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I totally get it. If it's a private school and it's a Jewish private school or, or a Muslim or a Catholic or whatever, I totally get it. We had a friend of ours who recently, um, their son went to Bishop Kelly 
and they're Shia Muslim. And um, he was a football player on the Bishop Kelly team. And so we even had this conversation about prayer, about, you know, doing all these things, having to go to mass and whatnot. And they were fine with that. They, they understood that they chose to go to a Catholic school. And even though the coaches and the administration said he could opt out, right? He could opt out of going to mass. He could opt out of doing these things. And so we've had those conversations and, you know, full and well, you understand great. But when you're in a public school setting and, you know, you're, you look at this pluralistic group that you're a part of, you know, you would think that you would have these conversations with this coach early on before it got to this point. Right. And I, and I understand, you know, they put him on administrative paid leave. I understand all of that, but clearly something was more important to him. So, right. And I don't know if it's more grandstanding than anything. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. Sorry, but you know. Yeah. I mean, there could be, so, I mean, the, the, the cries for religious freedom um, particularly, I can say this uh, as 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 the as the Christian in the group. Particularly from Christians who have always represented the majority, acting as if they are being persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, when when in reality, what is happening is that we're trying to make things more equal. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, for some folks, as the saying goes, you know, uh, making things equal feels like oppression when you're used to being in that dominant position. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that there's been this cry for religious freedom, you know, again, the air quotes. And it's, it is the unspoken part of that is that it is, it is always a particular religion's freedom. Mm-hmm. One particular example, one particular expression of a religion's freedom. So, in closing with you all today, uh, I'm curious, uh, we've already talked about how um, this particular decision from the Supreme Court has kind of pushed away a lot of precedent that has been established right now and, and seems to be leading into a, a, a different world with less guidance on it. Uh, now, one could assume, based on this ruling, that religious expression in that public kind of way is now in a more open environment. And we asked earlier, what do you think would have happened had this been, you know, a Muslim football coach, you know, engaging his players? And in, in. so you are both leaders in, in minority religions, especially here in, in Tulsa. There now seems to be a new boundary. Any thoughts uh, you have about uh, testing that boundary? Would you advise uh, anyone that you know to be a test case for praying on the 50-yard line uh, in this upcoming football season? Uh, how do you think the adherence of your faith traditions uh, would be met uh, in the state of Oklahoma if they were doing that uh, with this? Do you think that they would be met with the embrace of religious freedom? I think it's a difficult question, and I'll start by saying I don't really know that many football players, <laughs> high school football players in Oklahoma. Right. I know a few. Right. Um, but and no coaches. And, and no coaches. Yeah. Right. Although maybe I do. I'm trying to never catalog. Yeah. I don't know who I know out there. You know, you know what, I, what I would always want for a community, whatever the community is I'm part of, is that we model behavior towards each other that we want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, there are new standards in place right now, and there are, um, uh, there have been multiple decisions based off of this recent, uh, Supreme Court session, which create settings that are difficult to navigate mm-hmm. for families I'm, I, I, I'm working with. There's a, there's a, there's a couple who is a member of our congregation who is now trying to understand how they are going to get the reproductive health That's services right. that they need immediately. Right. And they're facing a battle that I don't, I, 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 I have a, I have enormous amount of compassion. Um, and, and, and I, and I don't see my role or religious religion's role or, 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 the thing I'm going to do next as to be the Supreme Court case to to go back right. 
to, 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 to climb back up the ladder. Right. What, what I want is I want to develop understanding. I always want to be in relationship mm -hmm. with people. I, I learned this very much from, uh, both of you, as we sit around the table, um, that the more we know each other, the more we understand and can speak of each other's mm -hmm. faith traditions mm -hmm. and we can develop a sense of, 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 of community. Um, that I think the whole world would be benefited from. It's not lost on me that we are having this conversation in the United States of America, right. a place where some of the first people who settled here, uh, colonialists who settled here, came for religious freedom, came to be able to express their particular version of religious identity and, in fact, my own ancestors are the beneficiaries of those Absolutely. very same protections. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, I hope we can maintain those and I hope we can strike that balance. And I hope we can do it so in a way that actually serves Coach Kennedy as much as it serves Congregation B'nai Amuna and, uh, uh, and TMM mm -hmm. and Fellowship and, and all of the communities we're a part of. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, I agree. But I also, a part of me says it depends on which high school. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we're talking about Owasso, you're not going to see anybody that looks like me or Dan probably right. in Owasso. Right. And that's very unfortunate to say. But if you're talking about Union or Jinx, right, you're going to have a lot more understanding. Right. Um, the administration has made it clear in both of those and now TPS. My kids went, like I said, and I went to public school and, you know, during Ramadan, they were allowed to not go to the cafeteria while they're fasting. Um, you know, we were allowed to slip into empty classrooms to pray our noon prayers, mm -hmm. things like that. So those understandings are there with, with particular school districts. Now, again, if we were to pray on the 50 yard line in That's the middle a, of a ball game. Yeah. full stadium, mm -hmm. yeah, we might raise a few eyebrows, yeah. you know, but again, you know, I would hope that we wouldn't have to do that to have these conversations, right. To be able to sit down with other parents and to try and get them to understand, because at the end of the day, this is why the United States was created for religious freedom. And so when I speak to people in, in other countries and I tell them that I have more religious freedom in the United States as a Muslim woman than I do in Muslim majority countries, they're baffled for me to say, I can pray wherever I want. I can express my faith. But with the past two Supreme Court rulings, I don't know that I can say that as much anymore. Uh, and in part, it's, it's, it is because of the way, again, what are we promoting here? Yeah. Is this the, is this, what do we understand when yeah. we say freedom of religion? Uh -huh. What is religion? What's the subtext of religion? Yeah. What, how are you defining? What does that yeah. mean? Because it feels like uh, that there are people who are saying freedom of religion, but really meaning one. Religion. One religion. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. And as a female with you know, the most recent Supreme Court ruling, it's just baffling to me, absolutely baffling to me how we elect these individuals, not that we elected them, but some of these individuals have been elected and they know zero about human biology. Mm -hmm. It's just dumbfounding. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is a whole nother conversation. That's, a, that's another podcast. That's yeah, where the podcast it, is coming just, up. But, uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I agree with you both. I think that it's, um, it's imperative for us um, as interfaith representatives to continue providing educational opportunities for folks so that we have a chance to encounter mm -hmm. that otherness and it becomes something that's less scary and, and more uh, engaged. So an informed mm -hmm. opinion is always better uh, from my point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that, again, the three of us can attest to being an ongoing process. We're always learning Absolutely. deeper things about, you know, about one another. And so uh, I take it upon myself to figure out what is a good gift to bring my friend Alia for Eid, you know, that is meaningful to her family. And, and Alia now knows um, that they're, you know, where you go to buy the bagels, Yes, Jews, I learned today. Jews, right. I know. No names no, needed. Yes, yes of I where know you now. Go, but there's one place you should go and now places I know. that you shouldn't New York yeah. City. Yes, yes. I will yeah, have them shipped New, for you next time, City, I promise. So. I mean, just watching the shock and awe when the three of us walk into a restaurant to have lunch. Right. Or, you know, when uh, me and Doug, who is a Church of Christ 
um, leader and um, Reverend Goss, Mm -hmm. who's an African-American Baptist leader. You know, we couldn't even sit and have a lunch together because so many people were staring at us. It is just baffling to people in Oklahoma that a Muslim, a Christian and a Jew or a Muslim, a Christian and Africa or or that I was standing by, you know, an LGBTQ leader. And really, you all support. I mean, just the way that people are just baffled, most of them surprisingly happy. Right. But there are some that are just beyond disgusted. And of course, then they have to come and give us their two cents. And, you know, that's fine. If it's going to cause them to have conversation and if we can help enrich their conversation and educate them a little bit, great. No worries. I'll continue to walk into establishments and have people stare at us, you know, so. (laughs) It's it's ongoing work to be sure. And, um, you know, as we enter into this new world, uh, it's important um, particularly after the, uh, again, the legal um, uh, bombshell that was the last session of, of the Supreme Court for us to emphasize that there is a difference between morality and the law. You know, mm-hmm. so what is the right thing to do and what is the legal thing to do may not always match up. And so uh, that that makes it incumbent upon us as as religious leaders to um, help uh, help our own uh, congregants. I have a deeper understanding of that and our responsibilities, particularly when we are now in a position of sort of resisting uh, some things that 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 have come come to fruition. So, and as coaches to help our players indeed understand the very same thing. Indeed. It's actually part of what makes this such an interesting topic uh-huh. is the same obligation we have as religious leaders is the obligation that I would expect of the educators who are in our public school systems. Uh-huh. Right. By, by extension, that's also the football coach yeah. on the 50-yard line. It's called teamwork for a reason, right? right? Mm-hmm. And, it takes and the, everybody to be the team. And the good news is, I, I mean, I think we can all attest that we see that. By Absolutely. and large, we see that mm-hmm. as the as the majority as of the, the action uh-huh. that, that goes Absolutely. on out there. And so that's a that's a positive thing. Yeah. Uh, gives us some sense of hope. We celebrate it, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and we Absolutely. all need the sense of hope for the future. So. Oh, yes. Thank you all. Uh, thank you both for being here. Um, always you. appreciate thank your you. time. It's good and, to be together. Um, Always. So that concludes our uh, third episode of Intersections. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Intersections is recorded throughout the city of Tulsa, an estate which was once home to the Apache, Arapaho, Caddo, Comanche, Kiowa, Osage, and Wichita tribes. Tulsa now sits on the boundaries of the Muscogee, Cherokee, and Osage nations. Thank you for joining us for Intersections, a production of the Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry. Intersections is produced and edited by Ramp 9 Productions and can be found anywhere you get your podcasts.